0: United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast covering all aspects and all levels of the game. We love the United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by team snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the Association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. I am Dean
1: Linky and today on the United Soccer Coaches podcast, it's a special College Cup show. We kick it off with Chris Grassi, who in four short years has the Marshall Thundering Herd in the College Cup. They'll play tomorrow night on ESPNU against Carlos Samuano and the North Carolina Tar Heels. You'll like the steely-eyed determination of Chris Grassi. The man is the real deal, and he's put the Thundering Herd men's soccer team on the map. After him... One of the true American soccer icons of all time, Brandy Chastain, who played at Santa Clara. Her husband is Jerry Smith. Well over 500 wins as the top man of the Santa Clara women's soccer team. They play North Carolina as well tonight on ESPNU as it's Jerry Smith against Anson Dorrance. A great College Cup show with two outstanding stories, Chris Grassi getting it done at Marshall and Brandy Chastain continue to support women's soccer at all levels. And you know, we love to do that on this show. And it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team
0: Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job?
1: Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. As I just mentioned in the open, we are kicking off with the top man for the Thundering Herd. That's right. Marshall is headed to the College Cup. They will play on Friday night, 6 p.m. on ESPNU against the North Carolina Tar Heels. And I'm so pleased to be joined by their top man now in his fourth year, Chris Grassy. Chris, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast.
2: Hey, Dean. Thanks for having me.
1: How about this run? First off, let's just talk about the support for the herd because we know we're still in this COVID pandemic. But, man, it was loud as you guys won that game to make it to the College Cup.
2: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, first and foremost, the COVID era, like I think uh, our governor, Jim Justice, has handled it really well. I've been really proud of our state. And the way we've handled it, and everybody's travelling down is fully vaccinated. You know, we've been getting vaccinations now since Christmas, so it feels safer. And I think for our team, it's kind of been the first time to step out as we're all vaccinated now. To kind of we can be a little bit calmer with each other and not so much not so worried about uh, all of these these different protocols and stuff. And I think our fans are the same way. And I mean, the herd nation's been. Fantastic. We really feel that support. They've really come out en masse and they're loud and they're rowdy and they're having a great time. And it, you know, it it really kind of, we can feel that and that helps us on the field. You know, I could feel
1: it as well in the broadcast. It was really awesome. And listen, before we get to your journey, what does it mean to be in the college cup? This is huge for not just you, but for
2: the university as a whole. Yeah. I mean, honestly, first and foremost, it means we've got two more games to win. That's (laughs) what it means. I've talked a few times now about, You know, my path is is a coach and I've been here as an assistant with Michigan in 2010 and we got knocked out in the first, in the semifinal. And as a D2 coach, we went to the finals uh, three times. So you don't win it, it it leaves you feeling awful. But in terms of the program, I mean, it's really hopefully putting us on the map a little bit in, in the soccer world, at least in the college soccer world. I always knew we were capable of doing it. You know, this is what were the goals being. And I don't think we've been shy about saying that, you know, this is the goal goals to win a national championship we play sports and i think you know a lot of times with the sort of the, the power conferences and the acc you know they talk about you know how they are with soccer and and if you buy into that rhetoric you know somebody at a smaller school like me if you buy into that rhetoric it's your place is below them but for day one we're in sports we're trying to win the whole thing if you're in sports and you're not trying to win do something else there's lots of avenues to to build character and and you know raise young men and young women Oh, but sports is about competition. It's about being the best you can be. And and the ultimate way to show that is to win it all. So, you know, we've said that from day one.
1: You have been consistent. You've been transparent. You've looked right into the camera at the press conferences and right into the camera here on the United Soccer Coaches podcast and said... We're in it to win it. All right, let's get to know you a little bit better because right now people are out there saying, Marshall what, Marshall who, Chris Grassy, what, Chris Grassy, who, let's find out about you. Tell us your story, where you grew up, why you decided to come to the United States and take your time as you tell the story of what you built at Charleston. I got to know you at Michigan, obviously, through the Big Ten Network, but fill in all the gaps for us, Chris, can you?
2: From way back when, when my uh, my dad looked at my mom across the room and... Uh... <laughs> as I uh, you know, all that stuff. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, I grew up in Newcastle, England and, you know, played for the, the schoolboy team, Newcastle schoolboys at the time. Didn't have the academy, but we had the school of excellence. Played for some some good clubs over there, but, you know, it was just what we did. You know, I loved it. I mean, I couldn't ever see myself doing something else and it was just what we did. And my dad got offered a great job in Canada uh, when I was a, a teenager and it was too good to turn down from, you know, so we moved the whole family. He moved the whole family across the Atlantic there to, to Canada and, and we were in Niagara Falls and kind of really had to find my feet in, in soccer. And, you know, you, you kind of ripped away from, you know, the, the only place you've ever known. I've never been on a plane before. And the first time I get on one is I, I emigrate, you know? So it was an interesting experience, but I'm definitely all the better for it. And and then finding my feet in Canada. And, you know, it was a CSL team that had good setup with with youth and, and everything. And uh, St. Catharines, Roma Wolves, and I got to play with them. And I was kind of the best soccer around there. And it was just, I had a great coach, Tom Bernardi, Played for Canada a bit. He played play at Georgia State, and you know he was going to send me down to Georgia State, and you know for one thing or another it didn't happen. But as an Englishman, I didn't really understand America. I had no idea how big it was. I had no idea if you went to a Division Two school that like you couldn't get promoted to Division One. Um, honestly, it was just I was naive. But everybody was telling me, you know, you've got to go to the Virginias or the Carolinas to go to college. That's the best soccer, ever. and kind of how I ended up over here. I went to Alderson Broaddus. Played for a played for a guy called Dan Kelly who was brilliant to me. You know, it was. It was you know, somebody who really took his time and has made a big impact in my life. And through them, I met Bob Gray and went back over to the UK to play for a couple of years and, and started back, in, back in Canada a little bit to play. In, and then came back down to coach, you know, Marshall University with Bob Gray as an assistant, a grad assistant. And through the connection of Allison Broadus, you know, Bobby was an alumni. And he coached my coach. And so I ended up working for Bobby for a couple of years. And, it, you know, for me, it was only once. I was only going to come for one semester. And then I was going to go back to, back to playing, but I loved the coaching. I mean, I always thought I'd be a coach. I'd always done some youth coaching on the side and I kind of liked telling people this is, (laughs) this is the way it should be done. Or listen to me, this is, no, if you just stand over here, you know, even as a young man and I always had the, you know, the salt packets out trying to talk about tactics and always writing up on the board, you know, the greatest team of all time and realize now how, how little you knew back then, you know, but I always want to do it. And Bobby sort of let me, you know, he let me run training sessions and, and, do like you know help with team selection and substitutions and all that stuff and I was really into it and I'm like you know I'm I'm okay at soccer but I'm never going to make I'm never going to be in the Premier League I'm never going to play for England I'm never going to be a top player so this is probably the right time to to get into coaching and, and you know never really look back and, and from there I went to Michigan spent four great years in Ann Arbor five great years in Ann Arbor met my wife you know we now have two wonderful kids together when I left Michigan and you know it wasn't on the best of circumstances but I was really ready for a new challenge and and ready to be a head coach. And you know, the Charleston opportunity came up, and again recommended by some close colleagues. You know, my old coach as well, Dan Kelly, and he just said, "Look, this is a great opportunity for you." I looked at it, and it was a good team, and you know, I could see you know how we could be successful. And once you get into something, I mean, look, college coaching at the on the men's level on the men's side is all about logistics. It's all about scholarships and academic money and how you can package kids and and the money you have for travel the money you have for recruiting the money you have for staff and how you grow your grow your program and you know charleston it was tough for the first couple of years we were doing well but until we really added a jv team and we were looking at net revenue sort of generating income for the program um, until we got to that model that was 14 15 and 16, and that's when we really took off you know, because we were able to scholarship kids a little bit better. We were able to have some more resources to put into some kids. And that's, you can talk all you want about soccer, about tactics and, and that, but until you have the logistics, you know, and the setup and the finances to build to support, uh, your tactical ideas on the pitch with, with, with personnel and recruiting, it's all to the wayside. But we were able to do it at Charleston and hopefully, you know, left a, a, a legacy there. I think that um, we were the best team in the country. And six years, it was we were very successful, but it got to the point that, you know, we were only playing games important games in the NCAA tournament really like games that were really challenging there was a couple in the conference uh, when Matt McBride was at Notre Dame it was pretty tough and you know Urbana had had uh, some good teams but it was really the, the NCAA tournament we were looking at so the, the the satisfaction the job satisfaction was very low in terms of challenge you know and, and I've got you know all these good friends and coaching division one and every game looks tough and every team can can do well in the top you know top 75 teams are very very tough to beat and you know I could see like there's another step there's another challenge out there and so it was a couple of years where we just, we weren't really getting much growth as a coach. I wasn't getting much growth personally. And then I had a great assistant in, in Dan Stratford, who was ready to take over and he was looking for another challenge. And, and so it was kind of the right time to, to move on and knowing I was leaving the program in, in great hands, you know, so, so stress took over there. And I, and I took Marshall and, you know, it was a great, it was a great fit at the time. It was very, it could take the model I had at Charleston in terms of recruiting, playing style and, and bring it right over similar, you know, similar region, 45 minutes down the road. And, um you know I felt a lot of support from from Mike and from Jeff and you know they just built a new soccer stadium so uh, Hoops Family Field which was which was very enticing you know watching that go up being in the region and you know I thought I, I could do this I could do something here you know and it was a tough choice because I knew he was giving up a national championship at division two you know that was the toughest choice that was it was it wasn't if we were going to win it it was when we were going to win it but knowing that I could hand it over to Strats and knowing that he would go on and win it, I didn't think he'd win it the next year but uh you know, knowing that he would go on and win it, he would continue the success. And now, you know, Dan Smee, who's another another guy that, you know, he's a volunteer for me for a short time and, you know, played for me in the, in the PDL back in the day. And somebody we were, were very close with and he's a jolly like myself. Um, he's got the program now. So knowing that that program is in you know, good hands and it continues to do well. And, and Brent Stevens, the AD, does does a great job with making sure they get the support and things they need. Knowing that that place was left really solid and those guys would have the opportunity to continue being winners and continue being part of a culture of excellence. And I felt like, you know, personally for, for growth, you know, just for growth mindset, I needed to go and needed to challenge myself against the best, the best in college. So moved to Marshall and those first two years were tough. You know, they were, they were very challenging, but by far the most rewarding in my career in terms of growth. I mean, there was so much to change, so much to, to improve on, but also, you know, so many, so many knockbacks, so many games you would lose, so many games we weren't quite good enough. We thought we were good enough to win, but we weren't good enough to guarantee the win in, in that game. And uh, not that you can have a guarantee in our sport, but it was a tough, tough challenge those first two years. And then in year three, it just felt right. And I was talking to the guys about how it should feel. It's gonna look a certain way when we, we play a possession-based style, you know, we, we're gonna try and keep the ball. It should be pretty, it should be enjoyable to watch. But I also about how it should feel. And for me, it should feel like we're on a freight train. Everybody we love is inside that train. Everybody's on board with us and we are going downhill and nobody can touch us. Mm -hmm. And in 19, it started to feel like that. And it's, you know, it's, you get that group and they kind of buzz off each other. And, you know, all the great teams that sort of been on that that 2010 Michigan team had that feeling. They were brothers, you know, and they enjoyed being around each other. I mean, we're still in a group chat together, you know, to this day and the same with Charleston, you know, once we were good, it felt a certain way first and the results came second. It was very important to me to build the culture Over the years, I've kind of developed what I call championship behaviors, but there's an entire sort of cultural thing. We look for three attributes character-wise when we're bringing guys in. We grade them on four championship behaviors, and then we're looking for three specific outcomes, you know, and we kind of make it pretty simple for everybody, but we, we, we go back to those championship behaviors every day. If we have a problem with somebody, if something needs a little tweak here or there, I mean, it generally comes down to one of those four categories. So it's kind of been a good thing to, to implement and, and the guys are bought into it. And hopefully they can take that into their later lives, into their work lives or the pro careers or their, you know, when they're lawyers and doctors and, and what have you, and use that to build their teams and, and to build their businesses and uh, their, you know, practices. Let's hear um, those
1: attributes and characters, what are they? Can you share those?
2: The three attributes that are like sort of, I call them sort of required attributes to, to when we're looking at recruits. I mean, you've got to have passion for the sport. You know, you can't just be dull. You, you, you've got to have passion for, this is a people business. So if you're going to come in and sit on your phone the whole time and you're not for us, you know, if you, it's, you've got to be interacting with the group. You know, we want a very social group. The other one is positivity, you know, and positivity takes many forms. I'm not talking about just being raw, raw all the time. I'm talking about having a mindset that is solution oriented. So you've got to be looking for solutions. You cannot not just be pointing out problems. You've got to come with solutions and you've got to be trying to solve the problem, you know, and then the other one's respect, so respect for diversity, respect for the people, good manners. You know, those are certain things that come in. We have a very multicultural team, and there's a lot of soccer programs are, but it's something that we've always, you know, looked at. And we look at sort of the the game. If you look at the game like a ball, you know, I'm looking at the ball from this this point of view, you know, and it's it's my history, my experiences lead me to to look at the world this way. But if somebody else comes in from Africa or from South America or from from Europe or from a different part of England or different part of Canada, and, and they're looking at the ball and they see something else, they can help me find a solution that I just can't see given my mindset. And so I feel if we respect that and we respect those ideals, you know, we can make a, a better team, we can make a better community, we can make a better world, you know? So those things are, are super important. And then the championship behaviors, you know, it's, it's four things. They're super simple things, you know, you've got to be humble, right? So you've got to be humble to give yourself that growth mindset, right? To know I'm, I'm not the best version of me, so I could be better. You've also got to be coachable. You know, you've got to be humble. You've got to be open to some criticism and open to coaching. I'm not the best coach in the world. I'm not the best coach I can be possibly. So can I improve? Can everybody around me improve? Can we be humble enough to just to understand that? That can be our starting point. The second championship behavior is intensity. Intensity is a measure of work rate, right? So you've got to work based on your own capabilities. You've got two things to do when you're here. You're a student and you're an athlete. So you've got to be intense when you're a student, when you're studying, when you're in classroom, when, you, when you're when communicating with your professors, when you're you know, into a group chat, you've got to give that your intensity. And then you've got to give the football side of it, the soccer side of it, intensity as well. So every training session, and that requires you going to bed on time, that requires you waking up and eating right, that requires you stretching and looking after your body and ice baths and treatments and everything that you do, everything else. I'm sorry. That's got to take a back seat. There's time, there's vacation to go see your families. There's a vacation, you know, to spend with your girlfriend and there's other time outside of it, but you have to be intense in these two things. And so we talk about intensity as a measure of work rate. The third thing is, is team trust. You have to work for your teammates. Your teammates have to be able to trust you on the field. They have to be able to trust you to get, to control the ball that they're going to pass you. But they also have to be able to trust you to be able to walk their girlfriend home at night or help them study for something or you know, in, in every other aspect, like we just have to have trust. We're, we're together. You know, we kind of have people causing a problem. And, you know, in, in games like, you know, Clemson, we had to trust each other to, to work and, and Georgetown to, to cover. You know, if some guy gets caught out of position, you've got to, I've got to trust that you're going to do the running for me and get back, you know. And so that's such an important thing. And then the fourth championship behavior we, we talk about is grit, which is essentially just those three things over a four or five year span. It's not always easy to come into work at 9 a.m. and, and, and give you your best performance, but but if you if you're gritty, we struggled for for you know 20 minutes against Georgetown, and you know the guys were very tired. The, the win against Clemson took a lot of out of us physically, you know. We went a double OT, but it also you know took a lot of out of us emotionally. And so for 20 minutes we struggled, but they had to dig deep, and they had to, you know, we had to fix some things on the bench tactically. You know, we 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 didn't get it quite right at the beginning tactically, so we had to make some adjustments. And then the guys dug deep. They used that grit to just push through it, and then. You know, from that point on, I thought we were terrific. So it's first the the required attributes, passion, positivity, and and respect. And then the championship behaviors, the things we grade them on every day is humility, intensity, team trust, and grit. And then the aspirations, the things we aspire to as a program, the things we aspire to for the individual are. We want to have a culture of excellence. We want to be excellent. We aspire to excellence. We aspire to joy. We have to enjoy ourselves. This is life. You know, it's the being happy is kind of the, the secret to it all, you know. And then we aspire to bravery to be brave when the moment comes, to have courage, you know, and, and like Clemson, we're going to press us and come at us. And we said, be brave on the ball, play, don't kick it away, be brave, find solutions, you know, and we aspire to have that. And, and they can take that into the rest of their life, you know, so when they have relationships with their family, they can aspire to have an excellent relationship and have a happy relationship and to be brave in those dark moments that that find us, you know, where you don't always know on a, on a Tuesday afternoon when you get a terrible phone call to, how are you gonna How are you gonna handle it? And we inspire. We hope that they have the support network from us still in the future. That if they ever have something like that, we can all help help them get through it together, and and they can be brave in the moment, you know. And those are kind of the aspirations that we have for them.
1: Chris, the way you just explained that, it's kind of like a three-four-three. Three. Can you put that into visualization for us?
2: Yes, yeah, so we have the sort of the, the back three, you know, the the, the three that will bring in you know in the required attributes of passion, positivity. respect and then we have the sort of championship behaviors would be the so the midfield four in that three four three with the humility intensity team trust and grit you know and then we have the aspirations up front you know the you aspire to score goals so we put the aspirations up front you know we aspire to joy we want to be happy we aspire to excellence you know we want to have a culture of excellence we want to be great we want to be champions and then we aspire to bravery you know and those those are the aspirations i used to have those as Like I said, those used to be sort of requirements, but they're not. They're the things you have to aspire to. You know, you have to aspire to be better. You have to aspire to be great. You have to aspire to be happy and aspire to be brave when the moment comes. Chris Grassi, the fourth-year top man for the Marshall
1: Thundering Herd. He's got that steely eye, he's got that determination. You just heard the breakdown of the team as well. But he also knows about motivating his kids, including inspirational speakers before each of the games. We're gonna hear about that after we take a quick break as we're with Chris Grassi. The Marshall Thundering Herd are in the College Cup. They'll play tomorrow night on ESPNU against North Carolina.
0: College coaches, make sure your program is registered for the 2020-21 College Services Program. While the 2020-21 season looks much different than any of us anticipated, we are committed to providing benefits for College Services members year-round. The College Services Program supports and promotes the college game, including rankings and awards for participating programs, regardless of when your season is played. For more information or to register your program, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org college. Looking for ways to improve your training session? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for more than 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential to every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to elevate your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs.
1: Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snapper with Chris Grassi, the fourth year top man for Marshall, the Thundering Herder in the College Cup. And Chris, I love your breakdown of what you look for in your team. And I want to learn a little bit more how you built your team. But you heard me tease the fact that you've had these motivational speakers before every game. Can you break down who you brought in and who might be coming in?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's. You know, it kind of happened on a whim. It was, uh, you know, my uh, assistant coach, Petzer, You know, he was like, "Hey, look, can we get this? Can we get the speaker?" And I've been looking at, you know, uh, Dr. Greg Dale from from Duke University as part of their uh, sports psychology, sports performance. And then I was like, oh, "I don't know. You know, it's not preseason. You know, but let's 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 be open to it. You know, I, I said the one thing I don't want to do is have mixed messages coming in." You know, I didn't want to have mixed messages going in because we, we had a pretty good group and we we're feeling pretty good and we'd had themes that we've been talking about. So I got on the phone with, with Greg and, you know, we were talking through some of the ideas. And I said, look, I said, the biggest thing for me is when you've won a championship already, you know, when you're coming in with a history of winning championships, like that mentality makes it easier. You know, like when we played in conference USA this year, it was easier. Like we knew we were the champs and we were defending champs and it was somewhere we'd gone before. And so he kind of hit on the theme of this is just a normal game. You don't need to do anything superhuman. You don't need to have an extra special game of your life to win a college cup. You just got to do what you've been doing. You guys are good enough. And I was like, yeah, that's that's really like on point. That's exactly sort of where I want to go with it. So he talked to them about that. He talked about some mechanisms for flushing bad thoughts and and sort of moving on quickly. But most of all, just talking about just just doing your normal thing. So we kind of added to that since then. We, we do our normal thing, you know, on the ball and when we're playing, and we just relax and you know, but we do demand. You know extra extra hard work and doing the running for your brother so we've kind of you know got it from that and then after that we had Jim Dayton who's a an alumni of the program you know super successful in the biotech field uh, he has his own company and he talked to us about you know turning down offers like crazy numbers for his for his company because he wants to be the best you know and that would that was great to hear and then we had uh, President Gilbert from the school and we had uh, Brad Smith who's you know chairman of the board at Intuit you know former Marshall, Marshall grad and you know, they were, they were all terrific. You know, they, they spoke about the same sort of thing, about trying to be the best and really just supporting us. You know, and I think it's been great for the guys because the pressure mounts every time, but the support seems to get bigger. And uh, Thursday night, we've got Chad Pennington and, and hopefully Randy Moss coming in to, to speak to the guys. And then, you know, if we win, I've heard Matthew McConaughey is going to give the, the speech before the final, so the day before the final. So, you know, we just keep, keep ratcheting up. And it was something that's just kind of happened by accident. I mean, we do a speaker, we have dinner, we do trivia night. And then we kind of watch some sort of hype video or or motivational thing, and the guys are just into their routine, you know? Let's
1: learn about this team because it's very much an international team, and there have been international teams in college, Chris, forever. I mean, back in the day when... Coach Adair led Clemson, that was an all international team. Howard was famous for all international teams. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with an international team. What is your take on people that say, "Hey, they're just a bunch of foreigners that are taking care of business?" How do you describe your team, Chris, to people cuz guess what? Your team's playing in the College Cup tomorrow and a whole lot of people are going to be watching.
2: Yeah. Um <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, people are going to be they're going to have that opinion about foreigners. It's going to be sort of the way they are look I'm an American citizen now and I was a foreigner once to you know and I hope I've been able to add to the community and you know in a, in a positive way and I hope the guys do as well so look if you can tell me a better way to do it at Marshall University in Huntington West Virginia you I'm, I'm all ears you know <laughs> like if in terms of recruiting it's the one sport that is played all over the world it's the most popular sport in the world by a million miles okay we don't even have to argue and, and if you look at the Brazilians that we have or the Germans that we have, those are two nations that are pretty good at soccer. I'd probably say the best two nations on the, on the planet at soccer. So getting young kids from theirs is a pretty good strategy. You know, we don't have an academy team in West Virginia. You know, the, the closest academy team to us is Columbus Crew in Columbus. And guess who's in Columbus? And guess which, you know, the Big Ten, the ACC, you know, Ohio State, they're all going to pick over that. And those guys are going to pick those schools. And, you know, it is what it is. Until we make a name for ourselves, You know, recruiting is hard. And look, I'm just going to be 100% honest with you. The the talent drops pretty quickly for the demand that they make for scholarships. And the top, top players in the U.S. are now signing pro contracts or they're going to, you know, Stanford for one year and then they're going to move on. You know, so we had to look at it and think, how are we going to do this? And I looked at it right away and thought, I've already figured this out at Charleston. You know, I tried to, you know, try to go the, the club route and I tried to go the junior college route at Charleston. At first, it didn't work. You know, so we had to look all over the globe um, and that kind of led us to, to a lot of success and, you know, a lot of great connections and friendships. And, you know, we just, we just try and run further and faster than everybody else. And look, we're not always capable of doing that in the recruiting front. And, you know, there are some great schools and some excellent coaches who've been doing this a lot longer than me, you know, who figured it out. And, and so we had to find a, a strategy that worked for us. And what we hope to do though, bringing them into to Marshall University is we hope to add to the community you know, we feel like our kids get involved, you know, coaching youth and we, we read to the kids and, and they're available in the community. And we hope to make Huntington a great place, you know, and that's kind of our goal with it. And, you know, we, we started a reserve team. You know, it's going to give opportunities for a lot more local guys to come on and, and, and have a chance to play and develop. And, you know, the jump from youth to college is huge. Nobody talks about this, but you go from playing young, young kids football with you just playing against kids to playing against men who are four years older than you. All of us like. In one jump and that jump is professional teams haven't figured out how to do this correctly yet you know it's like it's it's tough you know you have a star at 17 who doesn't make it you know in the pro game so college is the same thing and all these college coaches are dealing with the, the jump and how do we prepare our kids is it you know is it training is it is it recruiting like what do, what do we need to do and I think it's it's on the kids as well, to on the clubs to to get them playing men's football earlier. I know we have all these sort of restrictions of you know what you can do and what you can't do, but it, you know until we just get you know the top 17 year olds with with men earlier, you know the top 16 year olds getting an opportunity, just getting a taste of it. You know that's that's got to happen all over at all levels, and and then you'll see that's when the US will start will start winning World Cups and and dominating.
1: We're here with Chris Grassi, the top man for Marshall. They take on North Carolina tomorrow in the College Cup. And dare I say, as I'm doing this interview, I live in Chapel Hill, and I'm pretty sure based on what I saw from the Thundering Herd, going back to an original question, that they'll be every bit as loud as the Tar Heels. I'm not going to ask you to tell me what it's going to take to win it, because you said you're here to win it, and you're planning on winning two games. Has Marshall ever won a national championship in any sport at the Division One level? Do you know?
2: I don't think so maybe football division one, a or double a or whatever that was. But never at the, this would be the first
1: division one national championship for Marshall. What would that mean to the community that you keep talking
2: about? I think it'd be great. You know, I think what, I think the one thing, this is kind of, it's been a tough year, right? It's been a tough year for everybody. It's been a crazy year. And I think if we can bring a bit of joy, if we can, you know, give some, some guys, some people, some fans, some, uh, some, something to look forward to and some happiness. And I think that, that that would be what it is. I think, you know, if we can help, you know, Marshall University just be a little bit more attractive and we can bring, you know, more people into the school and more people, you know, into the community and get excited about it and that can help in any way. I mean, that's, that's a great achievement. But I think, look, in terms of where it is with everything, I think if we can just bring, I know we'll bring a couple thousand fans down and if we can bring those couple thousand fans a bit of joy and a bit of happiness and a good time after this really terrible you know, yeah, with COVID, I, I, that would be brilliant for me. That would be all I could ask.
1: Well, finally, uh, being in this bubble, I've talked about it on the broadcast, which, by the way, was a bigger climb than I thought doing 26 games by myself for the most part, except uh, when they played Georgetown. I did have the the voice of the Georgetown Hoyas to talk a little bit about their history, which was nice, but it was, a, it was a pretty big mountain to climb. But one thing I did realize and learn is, you know, being with the United Soccer Coaches at the convention is this networking thing it's been kind of neat to have all these brilliant minds and you're included in that, Chris, you are a brilliant mind and a brilliant story, but I mean, all these top level coaches together, right in one area. And I know you're laser focused. So perhaps that was your, your only focus, but it's been pretty neat, right?
2: Yeah, no, it's been, it's been, it's been good. I mean, we haven't got to take advantage of, of really getting together because we've all been in sort of separate places. I mean, in, in different hotels, but we've had some interaction and You're right. I mean, the, the, the quality of coaching, you know, the history that that, like a lot of these coaches have is, you know, be brilliant to tap into and, and maybe get a, I don't know, a post championship uh, zoom call together and, you know, maybe pick each other's brains. And, you know, for me, I'm sure like the the other coaches must have this as well. It's it's, you kind of come back to the, like we talk about championship behaviors, you come back to your philosophy, you know? And so when it gets stressful times like this, it's okay. What do I believe? Like what, you know, and you just go back to it and you just pull from it and, and you just put it out there and, um, I'm sure it'd be interesting to see what all the other coaches sort of foundational philosophies are and they can just pull from, you know, when, when it gets stressful, you get into the, you know, the situation, you know, I've done this, I've had 500 games and I've done this and, you know, this has worked in 437 of them. So we're going to do this, you know, and uh, it'd be interesting to get those kind of conversations, you know, and uh, I can't wait for the convention to come back and, and normal life to come back and, you know, get to those, uh, you're right, networking and, and chatting and you know, you barely get to go into anything because it's just one catching up with this guy, catching up with this guy, have an interesting conversation. I don't want to leave over here, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I always really enjoy those, those events. All
1: right, fair enough. Uh, we'll end it with this. I got to meet you, obviously, during my work with the Big Ten Network and you were at Michigan and you and Paul were always super nice to me. And I felt like that was because you got it. You understood what it meant to be on television and to grow the game together. So first of all, I wanted to thank you for that and uh, also say thank you for the reconnection during this incredible run for you, Chris. I'm really proud of you. I'm proud of the university, and I wish you the best of luck tomorrow against North Carolina.
2: Hey, thanks, Steve. Yeah, it's been great to, to reconnect, and, and thanks for all you do for the sport. I mean, it is the more we can show it, the more we can have guys like yourself commentate on it, the, the better it's going to be, you know?
1: All right. Well, the Thundering Herd is outstanding, and Chris Grassi, the head coach of the Marshall men's soccer team, kicking it off. Coming up next, one of the true American soccer icons, Brandy Chastain. Her husband is Jerry Smith, the head coach of Santa Clara. Brandy played at Santa Clara. Santa Clara also will play North Carolina on the women's side tonight. That's right, it's the Broncos and the Tar Heels. Brandy Chastain is all about women's soccer, and we are too. So, Brandy Chastain will join us after this message. This is Dean Linky again, and I wanted to take a moment to salute all of the great people that made this year's United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention such a great success. I had the great honor of serving as one of the hosts and it was one of the best weeks in soccer I've ever had. With that, while the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention might be over, you can still get involved as we're just getting started. You can still register to receive access to all session recordings and the digital convention platform. Chat with your soccer coaching community and take in top level presentations from coaches around the globe, all at your own convenience. To register and receive access, visit UnitedSoccerCoachesConvention.org. That's right. You can still register for the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention and have access to all of the amazing presentations. I hope you can take advantage of the special offer. And again, visit UnitedSoccerCoachesConvention.org. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Unfortunately, you can't see my smile on this podcast, but anytime I think of Brandy Chastain, let alone see Brandy Chastain, she brings a smile to my face. I had the great pleasure of breaking into soccer with the US women out in Santa Barbara and Brandy. You were so darn nice to me that I'll never, ever forget it. And you were a media darling then. You cared about media. I think you were interested in media. You're still in media. And with all of that, Brandy, thanks for joining the podcast.
3: Oh, Dean Linky, you are the man. Are you kidding me? This is like I, I'm having a flashback to 1991 and all the great things that started all of this off. So I'm thrilled to be here. I told you, anytime, any place for you, no matter what.
1: Well, you're on for multiple reasons, but it was amazing. As you know, I've been calling all the action for the women's tournament, and you've been listening, of course, Santa Clara with your husband, Jerry Smith, will take on North Carolina 830 on Thursday on ESPNU, which will be a great game, but Florida State wins, Yuji Zhao, the Chinese international, rips off her shirt. I say your name, you text me immediately and off we're running, right? I mean, it brought back so many great memories and you're right, the tie-in when you ripped off your shirt it was against China. I bet Yuji knew that one, right?
3: <laughs> um, I'm gonna say she probably wasn't born then, but <laughs> 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 but she's probably seen it on, on the web. So um, yeah, I just thought it was quite ironic But also awesome to think that, you know, she had this personal moment and we should encourage all the players to celebrate the moments because sports is so wonderful like that. It gives us these great moments to celebrate great achievements. So it was it was fun to watch it. It was great to text you. And I'm so happy that we're having this conversation.
1: Yeah, super timely. As like I said, tonight, actually, this will be released on on Thursday, your husband and Santa Clara crashing the ACC party, right? Getting in there with the <laughs> ACC teams. What does it mean? Because you've been on the coaching staff for a long time. And I know now you're doing some different things, but you're part of that family. That's where you went to college as well. What does it mean for you and your husband and Santa Clara to be in the college cup?
3: Well, I I think for all of us competitors, you know, we all start our seasons with one goal, and that's to get to the final championship game. And to be one game away from that is really remarkable for all four teams that are involved in the College Cup. But I'm going to highlight Santa Clara University because we don't come from a massive conference. We're not maybe a household name. So our journey is different. Our journey is not through or with, you know, big basketball or big football. Um, you know, we are the paramount team on our campus. We are what everybody gets excited about. And we have for gosh, since the late eighties been involved in college cup weekends many times. And Jerry has truly created, a. like Anson Dorrance that why this is why this matchup is so phenomenal, right? Um, Both these coaches have over 500 wins at the division one level, which is remarkable. There's only three people who have that. They've created some of the, of USA's great players. And we come to this time and we get to showcase women's soccer on the biggest platform in at the collegiate level. And it's so remarkable. What makes this year, Dean, really special Santa Clara County, where Santa Clara University is, was the most locked down County in all of North America. We didn't have a fall season. We didn't have a spring season and we didn't know when we would play again. And these players stood resolute. Jerry did everything in his power, whether that was fighting with the university and the county and the governor to have the opportunity to participate and give these players the field back. It was a real battle. Honestly, I feel like this team is a team of destiny. There was forces trying to get them away from the field and they just stood brave and courageous and confident and together. And that's why I believe that come Thursday night, anything is possible for them.
1: I'm glad that you said believe because I did get to see Jerry just a little bit after you texted me and that's the key word, they believe, right?
3: Yeah, there's no doubt. And we all know we've been in sports long enough. We understand that there's only so many things that you can control. And if you do a good job of controlling those things, you know, the, the likelihood of success increases, but there's some things that are not tangible that you absolutely must have. Belief is certainly one of them. I would also say that love is another, you know, that team chemistry is not just about, do we all know the X's and O's? It's really about the trust and the willingness to put yourself out there to give to somebody else more of yourself than maybe you would give to yourself. And when you do that, great things are, are possible. And so I'm really looking forward to Thursday night with great anticipation. I'm going to have Mia. Christine Lilly, Tish Venturini, Carla Overbeck on my speed dial. So when something great happens, I'm going to call them right away and we'll have this wonderful banter. It's going to be awesome.
1: Of course, Brandy referencing the UNC Tar Heels that she played with for so many years. And it's only fair play with that banter, right? You got to go at it or it wouldn't be the same, right?
3: Oh, no. it's. I mean, listen, I've got Allie Wagner, Danielle Slayton, Leslie Osborne, <laughs> myself. We are ready to back our Broncos big time and... It's going to be fun. This is why we play, right? We don't know the outcome right now. And and we just hope for a great game, everybody's safety, and that we can inspire some young girls out there to think about themselves on this stage and then get them to, on that pathway to great success.
1: You mentioned two key words in the last two answers. One was love, one was fun. I can't think of a better time where there's more love for women's soccer. I mean, you think about hmm. at the youth level, which I want you to talk a little bit uh, later about what you're doing at the youth level, but I mean, that is blowing up at the college level, the international level, at a football with the coverage of European football as well. I mean, to be a woman in soccer right now, it, it was pretty, it was pretty heady when you did it and you scored that penalty kick and ripped off your shirt. But I mean, look at the numbers now, Randy it's just amazing. <laughs>
3: It it is my, my, you know, I wish my parents were around right now to see this because, you know, when I think about getting involved in soccer the first time back in the early seventies and my dad saying yes to becoming a coach of a sport, he absolutely knew nothing about. And my mom becoming the woman on the sideline with this big megaphone cheering for all the kids on the field. We had no idea what was in in our future but what what I do recall back about those times that it always was about family it was always about love it was always about fun and it continues to be that for me and I'm hoping though we have kind of created a new iteration of what women's professional soccer looks like, we can still hold those as fundamental, um, no matter how far we go and how big we get.
1: I'm glad because I like to reflect and I kind of like my spot right now as a broadcast <laughs> on multiple levels. And you know, I've been working with Anson Dorrance ironically on the Vision of a Champion podcast. And there's been a lot of banter about how this team in 99 would do against the 2015 and 19 team. And there's a lot of, I mean, it's been interesting. We had Michelle Akers on the other day and, you know, look, you can do that maybe with Chicago Bulls against the old Boston Celtics, right. Or the Lakers. So why not do it with this team, Brandon? Do you have any take on how this team would do with the modern day team?
3: Oh my gosh. Let me just tell you, Karen Gabera, April Heinrichs, Mia Hamm, Julie Fowdy, Carla Overbeck, Joy Fawcett. My, yeah. Myself, um, Christine Lilly. I mean, this team, was a force of nature at a time when, you know, you really had to kind of scratch and claw and get your way to things like that. Like FIFA didn't even call this a World Cup. They they it was the M M&M and Cup. Like they didn't even believe women's soccer should have a World Cup. So that team is was resilient. So I think that would be a hell of a matchup between the team now and the team then.
1: It really would. I mean, do you yeah, you guys could beat them, right?
3: Hell yeah, we. But they would say the same, and I hope they would say the same. Right, I think yeah, well, it, it would be a knockdown, out fight for
1: sure. And what do you think now? When you look around, and you see all your teammates, and you're even in television. And you see Julie and Mia now, an owner, both for a men's team and a women's team. You might even be involved in that ownership group. I'm not sure. Are you with the Angels? I,
3: I, I am actually a part of the the NWSL team that w- we want to bring one to the Bay Area. We want to bring one back. So myself, Ali Wagner, Daniel Slayton, Leslie Osborne, we are building the great nemesis of Angel City. Won't <laughs> that be amazing? Perfect.
1: That's perfect. And you don't mind that role, right?
3: No, I think this is this is what sport needs, right? It ne- you need an adversary that's up to your quality. Like that's where the pressure creates diamonds kind of uh concept happens like that's this the, is amazing quote the right there <laughs>
1: yeah you remember yeah. Anson? In effect the first meeting i sat in with you guys in santa barbara anson talked about working so hard that the insides of your stomach is going to create diamonds that, that's where you got that from do you know that
3: oh i i he he gave us a lot of great motivational moments where you know he pushed us to really get outside of our comfort zone and for as many times as Anson and I didn't get along uh, we get along really well now Um, we, we I think we have great deal of respect for one another and there's no doubt that those teams during that time were incredibly uniquely special to the future of women's soccer.
1: Randy before we get to what you're doing now and uh, wrap up our time with you, which has been awesome, one of the things that I love about you is I show this picture again. When you were on that 91 team, you were an attacking player. And <laughs> you, made the, right? you made the sacrifice to become one of the best outside backs the history of the game has ever seen. What do you remember about doing that? Because that's not easy to do.
3: You know what? I think initially, Dean, it came from a lot of perspective. Right? After the 91 World Cup, I was... Anson dropped me from the national team, and and I had to do a lot of reflection. I had gone through two ACL reconstructions, um, being now off the national team, trying to find my footing. I was out of college, so there was not really a place for me to go, and I ended up going overseas. I went and played in Japan. I found, again, my passion and love for the game, and it reinvigorated my desire to continue to fight to get back on it, and when ninety five, when the World Cup in ninety five happened, and I was watching f- from a pub with Leslie Gallimore and Amy Griffin and Amy Almond at the time. And you know, to watch that was really difficult, but it it definitely st- stoked the fire that was in my belly. Like it wasn't over for me. And and when the opportunity came to go to camp in 95, at the end of 95, post-World Cup. The national team was having a contract dispute with U.S. soccer. And so I said, Jules, hey, I stand with in solidarity with the players. I I believe that we deserve better and that we need to fight for this pay equity that everybody's talking about now. This was 25 years ago. And she said, no, Brandy, you need to go to that camp because you need to get on this team. And the only way to do that is for you to go. And so I thought that that was great leadership. It was great vision. It was really what uh, made this national team great. Was they looked at the picture as a whole, not in parts as like individuals. And so I said to Julie, "I promise you, I will do everything necessary to be on this team." And I don't think I ever worked as hard as I ever did to for those training camps. And when that those were over, and I got into a, a meeting with with Tony and with April. And Tony said, you know what, Brandy, you've had two great camps. We're really, really pleased. And we we believe you belong on this team. And, you know, the insides, it's like Christmas and your birthday and everything all wrapped up together. And you're trying to be cool about it, but you're so excited. And then he dropped the bomb on me when he said, but as a defender, not a forward. And so literally, Dean, I think this is where people come to the crossroads in their life and you have to make a choice. And what I'm hoping to everybody who's listening is that choices are what we hope for and opportunities are, we never know when they're coming. So you have to be ready to accept them. And that is, this wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't what I thought was going to be told to me, but it's an opportunity to be on the team. And that's what I really wanted. And so what I ended up learning was number one, I'm gonna play between Christine Lilly and Carla Overbeck. If I can't be good there, I don't deserve to be on the team anyway. But what I what I then learned is that all the things that I had known and learned before about being a forward, I used against my opponent because I saw the runs before I knew the move. And so I could get into the spaces. I could read the play ahead of time. And that absolutely made me better. And so what I would say to everybody When you're presented with something that doesn't look like what you wanted or it's uncomfortable, search down deep inside yourself and say, how good am I and what do I know and how can I use it to be good in this moment? Because that's what life is all about. You have to be flexible. You have to be agile. You have to be willing to take a risk. You're going to fall down. You're going to make a mistake and you're going to get back up on your feet and you're going to go for it.
1: I love that answer. Amen. One more soundbite because you mentioned the equality and the pay thing. You're right. It was 25 years ago. Do you have a take, Brandy, on women getting what they deserve?
3: Yeah, we deserve what we should get, which is more. And that's not being greedy. That's more about, listen, companies, sponsors come to U.S. soccer wanting to sponsor women's soccer. Dean, this is not this is not something that hasn't been told before, but There was plenty of sponsors that came to US soccer to say we want to sponsor women's soccer and they said well no you can't sponsor women's soccer you have to sponsor US soccer, which means that it goes to men's and women's but what we also know is that 70% if not more of those dollars went to men's soccer and boys soccer so That was a very frustrating time. What I love now is we have big corporations and a dear friend of mine uh, by the name of Oliver Jenkin, who works for Visa, who is a great supporter of U.S. soccer. But what they said was, listen, we will sponsor you, but this has to be done equally. And U.S. soccer fought them. And Visa said, well, we won't do it. And they stood their ground. And then U.S. soccer came back and said, fine we will do it. That's the kind of support that women's soccer is now getting. It's not just the players saying, listen, we deserve this. This is people seeing that we have the deepest, richest, most amazing well of talent, not only physically, but emotionally, intellectually. This well is so deep that it's going to change and shake and shape the world. That's what you, That's what women's soccer is now, Dean. And now I'm, I'm super happy that I get to stand back and say, everybody else now sees what I've seen for 30 or more years. I love it. It's amazing.
1: Speaking of amazing, tell us what you're doing now as a coach. And then also, I know you have an exciting business opportunity. And I think, Brandy, you deserve to talk about that as
3: well. So tell us what you're up to. I appreciate that. So I'm like everybody else out there coaching youth sports, you know, it's an investment of the heart. You know, I really want to share all the these great moments and opportunities that I was given through good coaching and great teammates and wonderful leadership moments with young players. Uh, my ultimate desire is to work with one of our national teams, I hope, at some time soon. But I coach youth soccer for De Anza Forest. I also coach high school boys varsity soccer at Bellarmine College Prep, which I absolutely love. It's the yin and the yang. I get to coach both um, young men and young women. And I support Santa Clara University women's soccer, obviously. But I got an opportunity from a gentleman who also happens to be a Santa Clara alum whose son I coached. He loved the way I coach my teams. And he said, I want, to, I want you to come work for me in, in the tech space. And I was like, I don't know anything about what you're talking about. He said, you're going to be great. You're going to learn. You're, going, you're, a, you're a competitor. You like a good challenge. Um, this, is def, this is a startup. It's, you're going to wear a lot of hats. Uh, the company's name is City Cheers. It is a marketing platform with a contactless pay solution that works in restaurants and, and bars. It really is a win-win-win. It's a win for the location because it's safety, security. For the patron, it's efficiency and it's convenience. And for us, it allows us to make the connection between the two. And it's a platform that I, I believe will take over this market because there's nothing else that's quite like what we do. So City Cheers, if you're an owner operator of a restaurant, if you do credit card merchant processing, come and see me. Let's do some great business and let's change the space. We know it's going digital anyway. So I used to be resistant to technology and I think technology is now what is shaping the way we do things. And I'm really proud to be a part of the City Cheers team.
1: All right. Is there a website or a Twitter account or an Instagram account to learn more about it?
3: You can get the app on the app store. It's free city cheers. Um, you can go to the website, city cheers, uh, media.com, um, to find out exactly what the technology does. It's not an interactive website. It's basically just to show you how it interacts in restaurants and bars and how it can be useful for the user and how it can be useful for the operator. And we're going to have a ton of fun with it. So, um, I really appreciate that. One last thing I am doing, I'm working with a group called Save the World LLC, and we promote products that are friendly to the environment and hopefully for people. Um, We're trying to get people to get away away from uh, the bottles of chemicals that they've been using to clean things and use our aqueous ozone spray bottle, which has been around for about 100 years uh, as a cleanser, deodorizer, sanitizer. And you can check that out at savetheworldllc.com.
1: Final question here. Tonight, your husband, Jerry Smith, your alma mater, Santa Clara, will take on Anson Dorrance and North Carolina. And the Broncos will get a win if they do what, Brandy Chastain? What do they have to do right tonight?
3: They they stick together. Stay with the plan. They know that what – I'm going to give the same thing we said about the national team. All that you need, you have and all that you have is what you need. Don't look outside of that. You got here for a reason. Believe in yourselves. Let's go Broncos!
1: <laughs> Randy Chastain, you go bring Broncos. me so much joy. I love your spirit. I did back in 89 and still to this day. Thank you so much for joining me, and good luck to your Broncos tonight. You got it, my brother. Thanks, Dean. And that's our show. Chris Grassy, the top man for the Marshall men's soccer team, and Brandy Chastain, whose husband Jerry Smith will lead Santa Clara tonight against North Carolina in the Women's College Cup. The Men's College Cup is on Friday, the semis anyway, and both the men's and women's champions will be crowned on Monday. For Colin Thrash, our producer, Bailey Conklin, Sean Shevro, Jonas Worth, and the gang at United Soccer Coaches, I'm Dean Linkey. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap.
0: Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.